Well, listen, I'm not I'm not going to bury the lead. I, I did all my shit. By the way, Tremors.com for all of our services and Active Directory, VMware, vSphere, Azure AD, and Purple Team Tactics. TrimarkSecurity.com slash services. Now that I got that out of the way, I'm going to let my illustrious leader introduce our guest. Well, I'm very pleased to be able to introduce Carlos Perez. Uh, so Carlos has been active in the security community since 1999 uh, when he began working for the government of Puerto Rico. He now leads Trusted Sec's research team, so trustedsec.com. He's an enterprise security Microsoft MVP and has presented at many security events. So you've probably seen him at DEF CON, Derby CON, maybe Hacker CON, and several B-sides. He has both created and contributed to open source projects such as Metasploit, DNS Recon, Posh, SSH, among many, many others. Uh, he has worked a lot around PowerShell, uh, including many articles, trainings, and tools that have been released in PowerShell to help improve the security of enterprises. Uh, he was the host of the Security Weekly podcast for many years. And uh, for a while, Carlos dug into the idiosyncrasies of Sysmon and wrote both tooling and documentation for this Microsoft add-on audit tool, which has not been very well documented over the years. Sorry, Mark. Uh, he has also trained a lot of organizations uh, for Sysmon and others. Uh, these organizations, we can't talk about them, but he has done a lot of great work in the community and elsewhere. Um, Carlos, uh, on a personal note, Carlos is one of the most genuine people I've ever met. Uh, he's a very caring human being and someone who is just a, a, a light in what can be often dark in the InfoSec and tech world, uh, especially on social media. And I am very pleased to consider Carlos one of my very good friends. So welcome, Carlos. Hey, happy to be here. Damn, what an intro. <laughs> It's it's nice to see that Dave finally lets you out of the dungeon and actually come on a podcast once in a while. <laughs> you know, you know, Dave, you gotta do a hundred burpees before he lets you. By the way, it's at a least very, just it, a couple of steps out. It's a very nice looking dungeon. I was just at the Trusted Sec uh, building the other weekend, uh, raiding your prize closet. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a very nice dungeon to be in. You have a lovely setup. Uh, we were talking right before we came on, uh, Carlos and I, about different audio and AV setups, and Dave has a whole studio in his office. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen what, what his, like, behind-the-scenes setup uh, looks like, but it's, it's insane. I thought I was doing good. Hashtag life goals. Oh, yeah. I, I, I still remember me doing a couple of YouTube videos, and Dave going like, wait, how does your video look better? I go like, did this, this, and this, and this. And then uh, that same day, he just go like, oh, I just made an order at b and Don't worry. I'll get there. <laughs> uh so welcome uh, carlos like just give us a little so i came up listening to you on paul.com right like back when i first started in security um and i've told i've had since i've, I've had the opportunity to to hang out with paul and hang out with jeff Mann and hang out with, with all those guys it's been a thrill of a lifetime to me every time i get to sit down and like have a cigar with jeff or you know have a drink with paul uh, but you were part of that crew in my very early upbringing. Uh, I used to, one of my first gigs was a third shift uh, sock level tier one uh, in Philly. I would take the train from where I lived here in, in PA uh, into Philly, and Paul.com was what I listened to. Uh, so much so that until very recently that I'm not willing to admit, I thought uh, Huawei was just a malware company. Because every single thing you guys ever talked about was this is backdoored, this is shady, and it always had that name. And then one day I'm like, oh, they're supposed to be a legitimate company. 
Uh, so you were part of my education for my early career, and I, I, I wanted to be able to tell you that, like, huge fan of yours. Awesome. In fact, I'm, I think I'm joining them again uh, by the end of June. I'm, I'm going to be in one of their episodes again. Um, and they actually asked me if I would be willing to rejoin the podcast, and I told them I was. So who knows? Probably I'll be rejoining. Uh, by the way, I have just a just a disclaimer. Uh, I have a message here from a one David Kennedy. Uh, he heard you were going to be on and <laughs> was very concerned that you were going to be inappropriate. So uh, he had me make sure I'm recording locally and to the cloud, and he wants to see it afterwards. So it's not my rules; it's his. He was just like, yeah, "Oh, you yeah. have you have Carlos on, right? Okay, well, I, I need you to so just see, so you know." That's what happens when you're a Marine Corps instructor. Um, so I've, I've been an instructor for the Mar 4 Cyber guys now for a couple of years for their CPTs and some of their other teams. I've actually taught their trainers at 29. And yeah, when you teach Marines, you got to use their language. Yep. Outside of raw and the different inflections of raw, when you talk with them, like, how was your day? Raw, 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 raw. <laughs> Um, but yeah, th th there's, there's a lot of funny stories about me making Dave blush in trainings at Black Hat when he lets me go and be in front of students. Oh, he also wanted me to tell you it's, uh, it's perfectly okay to publish the Scoutmaster source code, like on this show. <laughs> no. You could just go right. He no. said he, he, he's, he listened to your requests and he thought about it. And you can just go ahead and publish that to the public. Uh, now they wants the entire red team to go after me and try to do uh, to plan ahead. <laughs> no, uh, that, that's our internal exclusive. framework. That's our internal framework that my team works at. Um, I have the privilege of having uh, two ex agency guys and one ex uh, defense contractor. All three of them, their jobs was developing implants and developing frameworks. So we develop an internal one that is very, 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 very capable. And uh, yeah, the red team likes it so much that uh, at one point we got an offer, I will mention from from what agency, that they wanted to buy it. And, and the entire red team just went like, you do that, we're going to go. We're going to walk out and protest and okay, okay, I won't do it. They really, really do love the framework that we developed for them. Absolutely. Do that, do that entity starts with a C. <laughs> I heard another tool you have. I, I'm I'm just gonna use all of my stuff oh. that I got from Dave. Is there a tool a bad rabbit? Tool called bad <laughs> He's thinking about it if he's Carlos um, is like, there's I'm, no I'm, way I'm, I can talk I'm, about I'm, that. Yeah. Well, bad rabbit's you. not the latest version. We we actually shifted to Morph Thresher, which is the latest version of that one. That is our payload generator uh, and encoder. Um, so yeah, that rabbit, it's old, it's old. We, we still need to revise that code now that I So I'm gonna let my guest, my other co-host co start firing stuff at you. So whoever wants to go. So what language are you guys using over there? What, what programming language do you guys use for your tool sets? What's your favorite? Uh, a lot of C and Python. I approve. Yeah, one of, uh, for example, one of the advantages of having everything written in C 
is, for example, we were recently in an engagement and of our guys were going like, hey, these guys have two different EDRs and we're moving slowest molasses because of this. Because uh, defenders actually forget one thing. You control things of you control his tooling and his tempo. How fast can he move? Because depending on the controls that are there, you got to choose which tool, which technique are you going to use. You need to test it in a lab. You need to validate uh, depending on the amount of controls and all of that. And then that impacts your tempo, your operational tempo, how actually move and not raise alarms. So it was really impacting our operational tempo the presence of the two EDRs. So one of my guys goes, uh, but do have access to one of their, to the phone network. And one of my devs uh, asks, what phone is that? This one. Oh, I have one of this ones in my lab. Uh, and he quickly, since everything C, everything's POSIX, at least on the Linux side, he quickly got the image for the phone, decompressed it, recompile our implant, inject it into a new, brand new piece of firmware, we flashed the phone uh, around 10 p.m. that night, and we just moved the entire operation from the IP phone, uh, which was super awesome. And that is one of the flexibilities that comes from writing everything in C uh, instead of doing it in, let's say, C Sharp or Go or yep. Rust. I mean, the only thing you got to contend with when you're doing C is just make sure the compiler is compatible for whatever systems you're going after, and that it's... Yes. Not going to have any of those stupid uh, issues with that. MinGW is great for that because it allows us to compile mm -hmm. across multiple platforms. Now, one of the things that we have been noticing is that it is constantly a cat and mouse game. So now we're seeing that the EDRs, they go like, hey, MinGW is not something very common we haven't seen. Before. So we're going to flag on it and we're going to say it's suspicious because we don't see many um, binaries. With W. Uh, so that means that we have to make it look in terms of imports and everything just like a Visual Studio Code uh, binary, and then we're flying very good. Well, that leads into my first question, Carlos. Uh, you've mm -hmm. been working in the industry for quite a long time. You've seen a lot of different environments. Uh, what are some of the things that you've seen defenders configure that have been best to defeat an attacker? Um, and what are some interesting, say, unique ways that you've seen or operated yourself that a red team or a pen test or an attacker have moved around in an environment that was fairly novel or interesting? I would say it's a mixture of multiple variables. One of them is having gone through the process of not going like, I only trust the EDR and the EDR is king. Like that is one of the things I covered in my Sysmon videos and, and that I constantly discussing with Andrew Schwartz, who runs our whole team at work. Um, there's a lot of gaps. When we grab an EDR, whatever vendor, doesn't matter, and we just start launching attacks and we start doing heat map with the customer because they're evaluating multiple EDRs or AV products and they go like, oh, detected this, but this one didn't, this one didn't, this one does. And they see that heat map all of a sudden, there's a lot of gap that People don't go through that exercise. So organizations that have gone through that exercise of creating what are my gaps and then addressing that with simple stuff like Windows auditing, setting up Windows auditing and moving those logs over to a centralized place, and then doing something as simple as looking for outliers in their queries just to bring that those things up in their consoles. It doesn't have to be very fancy protections or types of... Um, Detection engineering, just go by, hey, 
we've seen this binary. This binary, we've only seen it like twice in our organization. This looks suspicious. Same thing for Rundle 32, the magic of Rundle 32. You want to bypass any EDR? Rundle 32. <laughs> awesome. And then when you talk with the vendors, does it work? They go like friction. And then that brings memories from my time at Tenable, where we were always disabling stuff and letting the customer bring it up another notch because we didn't, the product management team was always telling us, that's causing too much friction. We're getting support tickets or it's causing problems. But the thing is that then we were letting stuff buy. Same thing that was happening with vulnerability management happening with detections in the case of EDR products. They don't want friction. They want the customer to go like, oh, it's, we're getting too many alerts, too many false positives. This product is no. Part of the process of setting up a good EDR is that tune it for your environment. They make it as generic as possible, but you still have to tune it for your environment, which is going to be unique. And a lot of customers don't do that. So it's a lot of simple stuff, um, which is that, which is just making sure that there's not one single source of information, multiples, you're collecting all of that, and then you have actual people going through it, specifically giving them training. I'm still amazed at organizations that go like, oh yeah, we spend $200,000 on the CDR. And then the vendor goes and tells them, oh, here's the training. It's 6,000. <laughs> 6,000. How expensive training. And you're going like, uh, you're spending 200,000 on this. And you don't want to know how to use it. It's like, I've, I've never driven stick before. So all of my cars have been automatic. And all of a sudden, I get a somebody buys me a sport car. I'm going to learn how to drive stick before I touch it. I don't want to wreck that transmission. It's not going to be useful for me if I don't have the training on how to use it and properly leverage it. Same thing happens with a lot of software out there. Yeah, that, that tracks pretty well with our experience of what we've seen. Certainly not uh, auditing that's that's configured appropriately on domain controllers. Certainly not uh, logs going into the the sim or central logging system. Maybe they have twenty domain controllers, but eighteen of them are sending their logs, and there's two that aren't. Um, so we've yeah. definitely seen that as well. So the second part of my question is, uh, you've again been in a lot of different environments, worked at a bunch of different places. Tell us a little bit about an environment that was pretty well secured, pretty well managed, and you or your team had to figure out a way to move around in it undetected and be able to attain your goal, whatever that might have been, uh, compromising there, AD or whatever. There's one, there's one that quickly comes to mind. Um, they really, really had a, have a very good detection base on Windows, um, which is a good and bad for because then they forget about devices and they forget Linux. Uh, but they were solid on Windows. Like employees, if they wanted to have access to the internet, would come in with their smart card, put it in, VDI system, the VDI system, the only connection. As soon as you pull out that smart card, the VDI image gets destroyed. Mm -hmm. So getting persistence was a pain in the butt there. Um, COVID, and all of a sudden now you have remote workers. That was when we did a repeat and we, we had some success there by going after remote workers. But typically it was at night until they VPN in and then we lost all access to the network, no beaconing, no nothing. 
but I still do remember that one of the that the guys did was abusing the MDM of them. We then provision a phone on our side and we configured the phone to provide us access to the environment. And he hacked uh, the environment from it, from the phone. We gained access to networking devices because we knew that there was no EDR, no monitoring from those. Uh, we deployed stuff to those environments uh, from the phone itself. Uh, and it was an awesome win uh, it because uh, that is something that we are seeing that state actors has have been doing now for a long time, but in our industry, you don't see a lot of red teams do it, and that is to move to networking devices. In that case, we went after the F5, and then we put our payloads and shells inside of the F5 and ran them from there. Now we are seeing multiple actors abusing now the recent Bruno for Cisco from last year getting access there. They're running Python payloads, Tickle payloads that are able to provide them access to the device itself. We're seeing them move against F5 devices. We were seeing them go after ESXi and have custom payloads uh, compiled for those in C uh, that they're able to then abuse. And when you look at many environments and you look like, where's your coverage? They go like, but I have AV everywhere, but not on your ESXi. Not on your Cisco kit, not on your F5, not on your IP cameras, not on your phones. Um, it's like uh, one, from time to time, my guys will shadow pen testers or shadow red team uh, so we can then better tailor the tools that we code for them. And I remember one of my guys went on a pen test and they were like, oh, we're having issues. And my guy went, oh, but have you gone to the IP cameras? No. And he quickly shifted to the IP did Socks Proxy from there, started doing everything from the IP camera, and they were like, you can do that? And they're like, yeah. They're still a valid target. They're still a device. Um, and people forget that they run Linux. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, one of the things that just dropped recently is a CrowdStrike article talking about attackers going after uh, VMware ESXi and dropping malware on that because there is no footprint for antivirus. That's like, not something that's been looked at. So you're you're right. There's gaps in these environments, which makes it difficult to harden because, like you said, you could have the Windows environment locked down. You could even have Active Directory tightened up. Uh, but then there's these other things like VMware, if, if that's ignored, uh, your, your, your Cisco devices, which often are, from what I've seen, often are managed by a group in Active Directory, uh, which has user accounts in it. Uh, th there's, a, there's a lot of areas of opportunity, but I think uh, it all starts, would you agree that a lot of this starts with inventorying what's in the environment and then kind of tabletopping what might be possible? Like, like you said, our, yeah. or voice over IP phones. What if an attacker gets onto that? What is our exposure? Do we have that, that networking for that lockdown? Um, is is that what you're seeing? Is is that basically oh, yeah. what your your perspective is? And I'm Ian's faculty, and uh, on the area of renewable management. And one of the things that I quickly discuss with a lot of customers, and a lot of them are missing, is that inventory part. And not only the inventory, because many do have service now and stuff like that, and they have good inventory. So we're going from low level to what I call semi mid level. And then I go like, have you group your assets for business purpose or role? And they go like, no. So you don't know in what business process, what assets fit into those. No. Okay, you should do that. That includes server, networking devices or devices adjacent to it that provide communication, routers, switches, 
and users and their computers. And they go like, no, 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 users, we keep them separate. I'm going like, you know that when they get, go, get into those assets, they're going to get through the computer and the user. Also, that same practice that you're doing for hoarding and for finding vulnerabilities and deciding what to patch first, what you're going to patch later. So you're trying to get an idea on priority because that's very important because let's face it, a lot of people have a lot of assets. They don't have all the time. They need to prioritize and then start tackling stuff by priority. It's the same thing you're going to do if you get a ransomware attack. You need to have, you need to bring this, the business up. You need to know what is your business processes and what assets are tied to the business processes. Which user should get his account restored first, get a machine first before we start bringing up the uh, business itself. Which end do you use for threat hunting also? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the biggest things, right? Most IT people they don't even, well, I mean, I, I don't want to like just kind of blame a lot of IT folks. A lot of them are just on the staff. I mean, you got the business side going, oh, we only need two people or three people. Oh, let's blame them. Come on. Well, I mean, let's, let's put things in, in uh, let's, let's look at things fairly now, right? Because uh, I was, so many times I went to companies and we asked them, like, how big is your security staff? Oh, we got two sysadmins or three sysadmins. I'm like, well, sysadmins is not really security, right? They're maintenance and billing. Who do you have that is your expert in like security and best practices and training and you know doing all the stuff that an organization that's I would say probably had like a couple of hundred to maybe a thousand people mm -hmm. um, is there to support like oh we don't really have that we just kind of do our surveys our videos that we get from HR and all that other stuff I'm like yeah but that's different you need someone going there checking the systems. Talk, doing their daily studies on understanding what is the best practice, um, how we should isolate our networks or engineer our networks to then work with the essays to actually implement them. The essays are not going to know like like uh, like even how to I properly isolate things or how to get the latest and greatest firmware uh, mm -hmm. patching systems up there and all that fun stuff. You know that's where you need these security. But companies go well, we don't have the budget. A hundred, you know, like a hundred million dollar company or a billion dollar company. How do you not have the budget to hire two people to come in and at least do that extra, you know, security level? And, and it surprises and, and, me. I would say it varies per environment. I think it's more mature and technical. The way I see it is as an industry, you already know what are all of the best practices. We already know them. They're written everywhere. We, they get repeated abnoxion in conferences and papers and stuff like that. It's the same thing as with a diet. We know we need to calories out, calories out. We need to control the amount of calories that we consume. We need to control how much exercise we do. Well, a lot to lose weight and still a lot of us are fat. Um, same thing is with a business. Many times when I, um, I've made my decision that I'm going to be an omnivore in terms of when I read books, I don't read only books on infosec or, or targeting or novels or if I, I read business books, I read accounting books, I read psychology books, and I try to stay on top of all of that. So that's why a lot of my top favorite books are teams of teams by Stanley McChrystal, uh, the mission, the man and me, um, dichotomy of leadership and stuff like that, because when it comes down to business, 
the same complaints that we give about IT is the same ones that the guys from accounting are having. The same that a development team, product development team is saying, we don't have enough developers, we don't have enough product managers. Same thing that marketing complaints. And it's hard because when, uh, in my case that I've been director and manager, when I look at my table of costs, like this is how much each different unit is costing in payroll. This is how much is business unit is costing in recurring costs in terms of tooling and other parts. And then you look at it and you go like, oh yeah, we should be investing there. And you're going like, we're already this amount of percent of our cost of the company. Does it make sense that we are now this other one? Now, then you start shifting. If there's gaps there or, or there's fat that you can trim, you trim it. If there's space where you can grow, then you start going on the political side. How good are your communication skills? How well do you understand the business so you can present that information higher up? How much collateral are you building with other team leads, with other managers, with other directors? So when it comes time that you try to propose something, you can cash in that collateral. And that is people skills. That's leadership skills. Those are not technical skills. Now, when I talk with students and I'm talking about those skills, the way I see it is, see it as social engineering. See it as a technical challenge. You're going to learn how to the human brain. You're going to learn how to hack how an organization operates. This will be useful for when you do your lead hack, you can go after the right target and you're going to get the kudos. I'm carrot a stick kind of method of making them learn some of that stuff so it becomes better, more useful. It's like we work in consulting. For us, becoming a trusted advisor is one of the top things because then we can upsell. And all of a sudden I said, I said the word sell. A lot of consultants go like, ugh, selling. And go like, dude, your business is making money. You gotta sell, you gotta upsell. The best way you do that is that you provide the best service you can with the greatest value. That's why many times I debate with red teamers and pen testers that go like, oh, no, my job's only to get a shell. Once I get a shell, I'm done but you're not providing value to the customer. What is the value to the customer? That I got shell and show them they're insecure. You're like, no, that's not value. Value is like you're doing QA, you found a bug, but you don't want to tell them how you found the bug. Mm-hmm. You got to tell them what's the bug in the code? What's the bug? What is the bug in the organization? Because now you got to make sure that they have steps to correct. And then if you become a trusted advisor, you know how they operate, what are, their budgets, what are their future plans, and you know how to insert in there on places where you go like, you know what, I can provide value. I can help you be more secure. What we did in this red team that we found here, I see that you have budget for this on the other side. Or you may go like, you know what, we've done two red team engagements. They haven't gone well. Time for a purple team. Yeah, your team, the red team's not getting the, the billable hours, but your purple team is, but you're providing value to the customer. They're, they're seeing you with another set of glasses. They're seeing you as somebody who's not trying to get uh, something more out of them, but actually worried about how secure are they or how can they be better? So that's many times why, many times when I recommend books, I'm not recommending technical books. I'm recommending books that I know that 
have changed the way I think about stuff like Stanley McChrystal team of teams. How do you operate in a very dynamic environment in very small teams, both in special operations and business? Like that's why my guys shadow guys in direct team. That's why my guys shadow guys in IR. That's why they shadow guys in other of our practices. Because all of a sudden, now we can be in rapport between the teams. We know how to operate instead of going up and down, how to go across teams. We have better relationships, better understanding how they operate, and we're efficient there. And when we go to an organization, we're helping them secure their stuff, and we see friction between blue and red, between the SOC and their red team, or their SOC and their contractor. Mm -hmm. We know how to identify how to reduce that friction because we've gone through that process. So we can provide better value. Because like it or not, we still operate in thiefdoms like in the medieval ages in Japan when one was one shogun's attacking another shogun, same thing we're seeing it in business when manager doesn't talk with another manager or there's sabotage or operations. Same thing happened, but IT is one more inside of there. Inside of IT you have security, which is one more. So we need to learn how to operate better in that space, is the way I see it. See it as another battle is that we a lot of great stuff you said there, Carlos. A couple of things I want to highlight. One, I heard Shell is the beginning, um, so certainly providing value, and I, th I think that's that's really one of the the important keys here. Like, obviously, Trimark's a security company. We're in Inf infosec. This is to a certain extent an infosec podcast, uh, but we we like to talk about a bunch of different things, and business plays into that. We've talked about this before on the show, and one mm -hmm. of the things that I think that you said that's really important is that. People hear upsell, they hear selling, and they go, oh, well, I don't want to sell because that selling implies that I'm trying to get someone to buy something that they don't want or they don't need. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times that's what selling, when someone says sales, that's what they hear. They think about the used car salesman, no offense, used car salesman. Um, oh, no, <laughs> every offense maybe, to them. They're awful. Yes. Okay. You can um, offend them. They, We're fine. Maybe, Maybe a mattress salesperson, something like that. They're very similar. If you've ever bought a car and bought a mattress, maybe not on the same day, but it's very, very similar. The techniques of, of selling there is very similar. You walk yes. in because you want something, but basically they want to sell you on things that maybe you don't want or you don't need. What Carlos is talking about is very different. And with trusted sex approach, I've I've kind of mirrored the Dave Kennedy approach with Trimark from the perspective of we want to be a trusted advisor for our customers as well. Um, Trusted Sec does a lot of pen testing and red teaming. Uh, Trimark does security assessments of Active Directory, Azure AD, and VMware. So we're complementary, which which means we yep. work very well together, and we've worked with with the similar similar actually the same customers. What I love about that approach is you start from a perspective and a position of I am next to you, I am here to help you, I am on the same side of the table. We're in this together, as opposed to a lot of times in InfoSec can be adversarial where you're on opposite sides of the table. I mean, everyone I think has seen the movie where, uh, you know, the, the lawyers roll in and they're on one side, and there's what, 10 of them. And then on the other side, you have one or two or three people. That's very adversarial in nature. You want to get on the same side of the table. And one of the things that I love that you, you mentioned, Carlos, is, is basically talking about the value. What are the, identifying what the, the customer needs. And that's everyone's job as a consultant is to talk with the customer to identify what their challenges. Carla just said it. He said, you know, we've done a couple of red team engagements here. That doesn't seem to be going as well for you. Maybe there's some things that we can help you fix. We have a purple team engagement that can help you with that. Um, certainly at Trimark, we work with a customer. We look at their AD environment. They have Azure AD also. 
hey, you know, you might want to look at Azure AD as well. Sure, that's a service that we offer. We'll get paid for it. We have folks that, that do the work on that. But really, we're providing value because they've never looked at their Azure AD environment or VMware. Like nobody looks at VMware. Oh. Um, based on a, a webcast we did earlier this week, we, um, Danny put up a poll and it was it was like single digit percentage. Seven percent out of environment. That, yep. We had it, we had it. 80 participants in the thing, 64 percent participation from those 80. And of that, barely 7 percent by the time I hit end on that poll said they did have anything to do with assessments for VMware. Yeah. Oh, God. So it's to your point earlier, Carlos, like there's a lot of areas and gaps that people aren't looking at. And I think, mm -hmm. as you said, understanding what the need of the organization is, which you, you should be doing as a consultant, regardless of what your role is, whenever you're working with a customer as a consultant, it should be providing value to them. And I, I think that that is, that is a very powerful thing that you said. And I, I think it should be emphasized, Carlos. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and you guys talk a little more about how to, so as a consultant, do you have to ask those leading questions or like, how do you just not look at the numbers and say, you know, only, only like 4% of people are actually looking at VMware. So you kind of slap the hood of the car and you're like this VMware puppy right here. That's what you need to look at instead of just asking the questions or um, getting, getting business units involved or like, how, how do you actually feel like, you know, the environment or get the right people in front of you to have a good understanding of that. So, so this is one that is one of the things that there's a lot of debate on. Um, I see it personally. I see it that it starts with the sales. Process. So once the customer comes to me, I need to start asking the right questions from the get go. Understanding like, okay, you want this service? Awesome. Do you want it? What are your pain points that this is addressing for you? Others go like, oh, no, we're technical. We should not be involved in sales. And I debate them. <laughs> okay, okay, that's... I, I, I try to, always trying to get into a middle ground, but on that one, I cannot. I, I'm going like, you got to be there from the get-go. Uh, as part of that sales process, you got to be there as stuff is happening or the sales guy goes like, hey, we have an opportunity, let's say for a cloud assessment. And you go like, cool. Hey, guys, so you want a cloud assessment. By the way, how do you feel about cloud? Because, for example, cloud is one of those things that's thrown a wrench into multiple organizations. Because Microsoft and Amazon and Google, they love putting new features out. They love changing that freaking UI. And they drive people nuts because many people are not A-type personalities. They're not always learning. They're not always in the latest YouTube channel or the latest blog, reading about all of the different changes and not everybody home lab for testing. Some of us have three kids and other responsibilities. We don't have that time. We can only carve just such amount of time to learning. So cloud being so dynamic and so changing also causes a lot of stress on environments. So when somebody comes for a cloud assessment uh, and they go like, hey, Carlos, we need the research team involved in this. One of the things I go like, hey, can I go with the sales guy on the initial call for validation of the opportunity? Awesome. Let me be there. So why do you want this assessment pain point? How do, uh, in, in fact, if I can have the rapport, I may ask how they feel. If we have that level of trust, if it is a repeat customer that we've been several times or when I, as I'm doing the engagement and we're talking and we're talking before the meeting or talking in a break, I start asking more questions. It's like social engineering. 
we learn with social engineering, like um, reading the book, uh, make, uh, getting friends and influencing people, and you start learning how to ask the right questions, how to report, sure. stuff like that. You use it there, like you try to identify. That is stuff that you may also use as you're doing your engagement if you're all, all of a sudden doing a same information that you may use if you're doing a phishing. You're gathering that information from a sales point of view, but at the same time, you may also identify new opportunities to upsell for stuff that they may need. And at the same time, you may find areas where you go like, you know, we can redefine this assessment, but I know that for compliance reasons, you need to have your checkbox, but in the ASOW, we can add this to help you there. And many customers go like, oh, you're willing to do that for me? You're not sending me a cookie cutter template and you're just switching the field customer name for my name and you're asking questions and you're willing to customize the service for me. That's awesome. And um, that's how you do it. That's my, that's the way I see it. But it's one of the areas that also I have debate with other people on. I get, yeah, that's, I, no, I was gonna say, I get so angry, Carlos. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so in all in all of my years in security, which now equals 10, uh, 10 plus, uh, I've always been in some kind of situation where I was f customer facing and I would beg and I, it, thread hunting was my thing behind keyboard technical. I would mm -hmm. beg salespeople like use me, right? Like you have some kind of scoping, you have a POC, whatever. I know you don't know. Like, and these are pe people that didn't have like a like a sales engineer right which kind of fills that gap they just, just going on their own and i said listen i'm i am actually the subject matter expert on this thing please use me and they they were like go out of their way to not uh and you you had talked like earlier about getting to understand the business we had a we talked about that at length quite a few times uh on on this show of like i understand that i want to help like you, it facilitates my job and makes it easier if you let me be on those conversations and help you out like I'm mm -hmm. sorry that like you hit a particular nerve of mine of like, I like it. Let me talk to them because I'm going to end up supporting them. Like I was a Tam for two and a half years and direct. They would, if they had a problem, they email me direct. I can't help them if you're boxing me out and don't want my help. Like, I'm sorry, you're a threat hunting expert. Cool. Then no, you're not. You're a sales guy or a salesperson. Sorry. It just a, a perfect example. Let's say that you're going after a record company and this is, We've done engagement uh, against multiple, so I'm not singling out one single customer here, but if you're going after a record company and you start talking with them right before the meeting, everybody will complain about lawyers, everybody, because they need to negotiate contracts with the start. They need to negotiate payments with them. They need to, every time a new record comes out, there's new negotiation. Every time they go to a new streaming service, negotiation and you're talking with them and they're asking for a, a red team engagement open one all of a sudden I gain information that we're going after the lawyers we're not going after DA we're going after the lawyers first that's my main target and then when you get in you start getting all of the documents all of those uh, contract recordings that they keep lawyers keep a bunch of stuff uh, which is surprising and then when you do the report here's the value why? Because we understand your business. We took the time to learn and listen to what you're saying and understand your business. And, and, and that was a very good example uh, that I've seen uh, 
uh, Jason Lyon from our team do. He, he listens a lot to the customer. And I like his approach there because he then knows how to target his guys, provide the best value there for the customer. I was just curious, how often do you think the customer actually knows what they want, right? Because if they're reaching out to a, a security oh. expert, I mean, they not, not a lot. Many times you have to guide them there. <laughs> yeah, so that's part of the like upselling or even an initial selling conversation, right? It's just helping them understand what they don't know, like. We, we, you think this is where you need to be focused, but let's talk about the bigger scope. Like, yeah, you, the APT attacks and all this. Meanwhile, you have a, link, a Linksys firewall system that hasn't been patched in the last 10 years. Um, and, and that's where things like this, that what we're doing right now comes into play. Because the customer can come in right now to happy hour, listen to us. Same thing as we do webinars, same thing as we do blog posts. But they don't have to be uber technical. We're not being uber technical. I'm not talking here about sets and encodings and uh, encryption and key negotiation and all that. We're talking business security in general. And this is something that provides value to them that they can then go and do instruction and go like, are we working with that? Are we touching that? And that is extra value that help us at the long run do stuff like this. Because then the customer know, already comes to us knowing several questions to give us or information to give us that they can go like, hey, yeah, we listen to you guys. We listen to this webinar. We read this post. We heard you speak in this conference. Uh, I know that a lot of uh, people in our industry go like, oh, man, I hate working with marketing. Another webinar. Oh, God, shoot me. Stuff like that. But hey makes our lives a lot easier not a hundred percent not not 50 but if it does it 30 percent and we we can get a return investment on it oh yeah we're making a difference at the end of the day hear that guys every time i bug you for content remember what carlos said i'm not just the one lying about it even carlos said it so now no carlos said good marketing he said good marketing people I'm, i'm only as good as the content that you don't create dev that's why you you make Content plans. I, That's I, why I, you... I don't see any blog posts with your name on it. They're bad code. Hey, I, I assist all of the people with there, and I do technical advisement. Cool, He's bro. good with people. He's a people person. I got people yeah. skills. Damn it. It's, it's like when you do consulting, you have three, four, five verticals. You look at your sales numbers. What is getting sold the most? Getting sold the less. That stuff that is getting sold the least, you create a content plan. What is the content plan? You, you need to go and identify of all of our assessments, what are the three major pain points for customers? This one's okay. Those are the three major things we're going to focus on addressing in webcast. Because many times we go like, oh, no, no, I want to write a blog post about what I find cool. Okay. But are you getting a return on investment? Are you being strategic with it? You're... You're just doing something that looks cool and you like, but you're in a sea of multiple consultancies, multiple consultants, multiple state actors, multiple ransomware crews, all doing several stuff. If you want to differentiate, you need to go by numbers, use data. So you go like, what have we been selling the least? This. Okay, let's talk up with our guys. When you do assessments, what has been the stuff that had the most impact on our customers? This, this, and this. That's where we're going to focus now our content. Getting strategy. 
And it's hacking. We're just hacking brains. Speaking of things that look cool, uh, we have a new addition to the show. Uh, Tyler has come in because my calendar invites apparently are all over the place. And I figure I would see if Tyler has anything he wanted to ask Carlos. No, I think these are these are all spot on. As usual, Carlos is very well versed in in the consulting world. Um, I think we really need to, as consultants, continue to facilitate and bring this message out to you know. There's new people coming into consulting. There's a lot of people that don't understand how to get the most out of consulting and and really engage with the clientele and customers correctly. We we need to make sure we're taking every opportunity, even if we're not at the sell point the return on investment for a customer to show up to a sales call and get an education and or get information that helps them even if they go with a different firm is how we how we move forward with better companies and hey the next time you come through and the customer remembers you and maybe they do business with you now they're more educated because you took the time and energy to treat them like a customer, understand the business lingo, understand their business and their vertical mm -hmm. as well as educate them on the way to get the most out of a security assessment because at the end of the day, we are very short on help, very short on people uh, to do this, and these companies need all the help we can get in a short amount of time. So getting all the companies as fast to a better security maturity point is should be all of our goal, uh, regardless of who you work for and who's getting the mm -hmm. business. Yeah, Especially I think Carlos, uh, Carlos, again, I think you hit the nail on the head with what you were saying about people like putting out content because they think it's cool. There's a lot of uh, content out there about the malware that was used as part of a breach. But very rarely do you hear about like the things that were done in the environment that the customer could have prevented or stopped. Right. Like malware focus to me is interesting for at a point. But really what happened after that? Like the search count that they popped, how did they do that? Then what rights did it have? Where did it go from there? And you hit the nail on the head with, if you're putting out content, you have to help solve a problem. My approach from the beginning of Trimark and even before that with AD Security was, let's figure out how we can provide information that's going to be useful, that's going to be valuable to someone. And then they will read that because it's valuable and they have some takeaways. So we have that approach at Trimark. When we write something, what is the so what factor for the person reading it? Are they going to get something out of this? Are they going to have something that's actionable? We started a newsletter, and one of my key guiding principles on the newsletter is there's got to be something that when someone reads this, they can go, all right, here's something I can look at in my environment that would be valuable, that would help improve things. Because if you're just putting out content to put out content, uh, you're just spinning your wheels, and there's got to be value to it. Uh, I'll make a quick joke about record companies. I, I entered a contract with a record company years ago because of something that I was working on at the time. And it, I ended up getting 10 CDs for a penny, but then I ended up having to pay a lot more money over time. So that didn't work out so well. Um, but I don't think they have any any uh, files on, on me back then. Uh, so I'll close out this statement with a, uh, with a spicy question. Um, and, and feel free to answer this however you want. There's been a lot of debate for years in InfoSec about attack tools and red teaming tools and publishing of them. How do you feel that red team or attack tools could be published responsibly in a way that can be helpful? And should there be, or do you feel like there could be limitations on something like the one-click compromise tools that have been released over the years? And again, feel free to answer this however you want to, but given that you've been in the industry for a very long time, you've seen a lot, I value your opinion and take on this. What a spicy yeah, an okay. understatement, bro. <laughs> That's like the yeah. nuclear question. I mean, go ahead, Carlos, but spicy is an yeah, understatement. All, all, all of a sudden, I'm getting chats here at Modern Mode going like, yeah, Carlos, answer that one. <laughs> uh, uh, 
Yeah, because that that's been even an internal debate that that have gone heated sometimes uh, on those. I have my own view because I've been doing this over 20 years and I've done a lot of hours and I've helped our IR team also. And it pains me when I see my tool used. Um, one of the big ones was a hospital. I was seeing ambulance ambulances being turned away because somebody used my tools to destroy the hospital, that hospital. And that, that kind of like did a tug in my heart there. Um, many times, if we are honest, if we're 100% honest, many practitioners release tools not to make better. It's ego. Look what I'm doing. They're peacocking is how I call it. They're going like, look at this, look at this. How many follows, how many likes? Look at what I did. If we are completely honest and we stop the BS, uh, they've told me not to use that word, so I'm, I'm, I'm working my brain not to use them. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of peacocking, not always, but many times that I would say six out of 10, it is that they're peacocking. They're going like, oh yeah, look at me, look at what I release. Then you see others that go like, hey guys, I'm putting this out as a proof of concept, not very well weaponized, and I'm showing these are the techniques, I'm including IOCs, I'm including how the, the, the technique worked, and I'm doing it because I'm seeing it being abused. Awesome. You see that and you're going like, that's the way to do it. Then you see others that just simply put a tag that says, uh, for educational purposes only, which is totally yes. Oh, that's that makes it all safe. Yeah, hey. that, that makes it all safe. It's educational. Safe. Like, um, like I, I, I was talking with uh, Sean. I used to be a tactical instructor back in the day, and I would not put a box of AK-47s out on the street, and I'm doing it just to show how easy it is to kind of like, um, abuse stuff. Here's the weapon to do it. Um, same thing, I would not do it with zero days or exploits without providing another content. Because many people go like, oh, we provide this, but that is for the blue team to help build defenses. And we're like, no. Like, you're a consultant. How many of your customers actually have a blue team? Not many. Or how a security team, have, even. Yeah. Uh, how many are in Twitter watching everything that gets dropped and works on it. It's not the Microsoft uh, threat Intel team where you have Nick Carr and you have Jessica Payne and the other guys constantly being there on Twitter and distributing stuff to their guys. And even then they get over flooded with that. Uh, a lot of organizations don't have the budget, the time or the resources or skill levels to do it. So when it comes to releasing tools, I'm careful with what tools we release. Um, has it been out there and we're just providing a way that we've seen people actually abuse? Awesome. Are we educating with it and discussing the, te the technique and the details and how it works and why should people should be careful with stuff like that? Awesome. Are we providing a, oh, if we found a vulnerability and we're putting out a POC for zero day, weaponized completely to get shell, not up. Uh, and that, and that's that's my point of view. It is one that has gotten me into both 
external or internal arguments and debates, um, if I'm completely honest. Uh, but that's my point of view. Right now, at my age, at my level of experience, what I see out there, I've seen the damage that stuff that I put out there can do. And that has created certain biases, how I see this. Uh, before, I was like, oh, no, I just put the tool. It's not my responsibility. Others should do it. I, I got to admit it. That's when I was at the middle split team. That's how I saw it. Like, I'm putting out there, and people are going to write their own rules, and they're going to use it. No, they didn't. A lot of Papa Man chops got clubbered with my code. We even have somebody uh, here at Trimark, uh, Jared Haight, ran, what was it called? Fusion? Uh, faction. Faction. It was a great tool, and he... He stopped. He took it down. He, he he stopped it. He was like he didn't like what it was, what it, what the people that were getting their hands on it. Um. So yeah, very very spicy thing to to talk about. But that's like we have that in our own backyard. Jared was like, no, I, I he was very brat. When I met Jared years ago, he was still developing it, and we talked about it at length, and and he was very proud of it. And then it just it took a turn, and he didn't want that. Right? He didn't want a hospital to have to deal with that. He didn't want a nonprofit to have to deal with that. They can't afford the mandates of the world. You know yeah, how you, I met Jared? Hmm. Jared was at a conference doing a, pr a presentation on PowerShell, and he was showing some code, and he says, it's not my problem, it's the blue team's problem. And then Matt Graber, Lee Holm, myself, and some others pinged him, and we're like, dude, no, 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 that's wrong. That's how we actually met Jared. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, was back in the day. And back in the day, I was one of those. Like, oh, it's your day? Let's put it there. Oh, no free bugs. Oh, we're, we're QAing vendors code. Like, the, the vendor to do it. No, but I found a bug. They should pay me. Oh, bastards. They're not addressing it quickly enough. Like, have you ever been part of an organization that needs to put out a product and their developers don't even know and understand what an exploit is and how it works? And they're still trying to figure out 10, 15 days later. And they're still trying to wrap their heads because they've written code always this way, but that is something that they don't get, they don't understand. Like, yeah, th th there's little empathy is the way I see it many times in the industry. But it happens with many industries, even the security, uh, the physical security industry, uh, military industry, and some other sites, uh, there's little empathy sometimes. But, that I think there's a way but to, to be fair though. Like, oh, mm -hmm. Like, like one of the issues I see you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? The ego thing and or your visibility as you're coming up in your career, you're trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to build your personal brand. You're trying to get jobs, get a resume. Can we get to that point? Cause you're, I mean, you're at the same point that many of us have reached. Like we just don't release anything publicly because we see it just not responsibly used. And that's usually by people that are not mature, right? So the people that hit that maturity level, are we having the expectation of the next generation to be more mature out of the gate or offer the experience that we didn't take and and find a different way to build their reputation and brand responsibly? Or are we just saying, like, as you get mature, you will realize that this is how the world should be and let's all try and make this a, a better place as a world. But yeah, that, that, that's why I like Will Schroeder a lot, Arm Joy. I don't know if, you, uh, if you've read Harm George's blog post for his tools. He goes deep in it. He adds a, I was going to say shit ton, but that's not a proper word. Dave would get angry if I said shit. So, and then uh, it's imperial say, or metric. Yeah. So I'm going to say a lot. So he puts a lot 
of references and links. He goes deeply into how the vulnerability works or the technique works. What are the different event IDs that could be monitored? What are the um, APIs that are being used? So if somebody's writing a detection, can write it properly. And then he puts out the tool itself with a very, very well write up on it in, in his blog post. Same thing for white papers that he worked on. Awesome, awesome white paper. And then it pisses me off when people ridicule him for it. Like, oh, look at him. Oh, he's not a true red teamer. Look what he's doing. Oh, this guy from Spectre. And I'm like, really? That's pure BS. When I see it in Discord, or I see it in people are, 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 are chiming in, I just unsubscribe myself from the Slack or unsubscribe myself from the Discord channel if they're and supporting that kind of thing um, because I'm controlling my mental hygiene, my mental diet if you it, on stuff that I'm consuming. Uh, on that side, I want to be with people that think that way he does and like how Tiffin thinks. And you can see it also from the blue side, vendor side, like Lee Holmes from Microsoft, the way that he engaged with the community and stuff. Uh, Jessica Payne is another one is another one that we can follow examples from the blue side on how they do NOS, NOS that from the Sigma team. And same thing with uh, Samir from Alaska. Uh, I, I, I'm, I love those dudes because finally one of the things that we're seeing is the blue side is opening up and sharing a lot more and they're getting more engagement and they're not following. I'm sorry to mention this, probably shouldn't, but they're not being trolls like for it. Florian, he does awesome work. Sigma is awesome. But the way that he approaches stuff, I think it, it, it's not conducive to a discussion or a conversation. Then you have Nas and Samir and the way they do it. Awesome. Great. Same thing with Nick. Like Nick, Nick Carr, when we were talking about how our tools being used and abused and stuff like that, Nick did an awesome presentation when he These are all of the state actors. This is the largest amount of attacks that we have monitored. This is the tools that they're using. 80% of them open source red team tools. Here's the impact of those tools. Because people were going like, oh, show me impact, show me impact. And Nick is somebody that doesn't say, don't put them out. He says, just be careful, give us more data on it. He doesn't say they don't provide value because there is some value. He says, yes, I see value in it. But he also goes like, but just in case, so you know, here's the data so you guys can see it. And he did a presentation and he went like, um, the Vietnamese version of the FBI uses this and this and this to spy on people. We've seen the Russians do use this. We've seen Chinese actors do this. Now, uh, back then it was like that. Nowadays, when I look at threat intel, we're seeing a lot more custom frameworks from several of the actors. Because if we are honest, EDR has gotten better. AV has gotten better. Mm -hmm. So now a lot of the open source tools that get published get burned very quickly. Uh, that's why you're seeing a lot of consultancies and, and teams just don't publish stuff because they know it's going to get burned. In a matter of weeks or months, it's going to get burned and it's no longer useful for them in the engagement. It adds friction to what they're doing. Um, but yeah, it's a complex Topic. Do you think that was a necessary yeah. evil then in the early days to get to get to the point where we're at, where we have 
a little more sophisticated controls, a little bit better EDR. We've gotten to the point where we've had to develop these communities to build things like Sigma rules or, or share uh, on the blue side. Do you think that because mm -hmm. that evil happened in the way that the, the offensive tools came out, that was a, a necessary evolution, and now we've gotten to that, that place where uh, cat's out of the bag and we'll see people start to go more private, but that also is push the industry like I, I see that as a double-edged sword mm. where we're removing that and we're kind of at that precipice where i think it is time to i mean I've, most many of the working groups and the people that do the very pointy end of the spear stuff don't ever release anything because that and you know that can influence an operation or ongoing stuff that that has people's lives at risk so making this a thing for consultants I don't think changes that we've we've gotten our initial goal of making EDR better and that continuous betterment like that I think can be a a different discussion and done differently now but is that evolution something we had to do and now can we move forward without doing it uh, that's a very good question I think it is not the main driver but one additional variable in the equation because at the same time if we're not releasing techniques and we're not the uh talking about TTPs um, or procedures that we're seeing out there and, and stuff like that, newcomers don't have a point of view of how to learn and, and where to start. Because it, it, it would be, if, I'm, if, I, if I try to be as objective as possible and take a step back and detach, uh, it will look a bit like gatekeeping, me saying like, we're no longer releasing tools. We're not no longer techniques, t uh, TTPs out there and how we operate. Uh, because all of a sudden now we have a brand set of QA people that won't know how to QA, the controls and stuff like that. And But that's a trust. You build that trust, right? Like that's how the government- You build that trust. Compart compartmentalize working group trust. I think we can modify how we do it. We, we can improve upon it how we do it. Uh, there's always going to be a risk. There's always going to be a penalty to it. Um, there's always going to be a shift. It's like, um, yeah, right now we're, we're seeing them amending Cobalt Strike and moving more to custom frameworks and moving to custom tools, custom packers, and they're moving away from that. But at the same time, when we need to do a lot of our engagements, a lot of our customers still don't have the latest, greatest. They don't have Sentinel-1. They don't have CrowdStrike. They don't have MDE. There's still a mom and pop shop that probably are putting McAfee still on the machines or putting some in for protection without tweaking the knobs in it. And those tools are still useful to provide value there. But I think we're reaching a point where we're evolving. I remember back in the day having the discussions with Digi Ninja many, many, many years ago. Uh, we're going, we, he ran a poll like, should pen testers know how to code? And 80%, 90% said no. I bet you that if you do it now, it will be totally inverse. 80% would say, yes, you need how to code. You need how to drive a POC and develop it. You need how to write your own implant. You need how to, at the very least, understand when you read the code, how it works and write your own tools. Um, and just like that, like have, we have evolved as practitioner comes from what happened before. So it was a necessary evil, but now I think we can do it better. Like I mentioned, but Will. Will provides very detailed information. So if we're doing it, let's do it that way. Where we're so, providing very detailed information. 
Yeah. So what I'm hearing, if I can summarize, is that the conversation always needed to happen. The conversation still needs to happen. But there's details around that that can help the conversation actually improve things. Because red's going to sharpen blue, blue's going to sharpen red. Blue yeah. needs to have a conversation with red in the community, at the community level, you know, in, in a public discourse sort of manner. The things that concern me are the the tools that get dropped that are just run this Python script and it will completely own Active Directory. That I personally don't like seeing because there is no, there's no control there. There's no knowledge that's gained. Um, and I'm not talking about the, the automated red team tools that, that, you know, those frameworks that, that Red Canary and others have put out. I'm talking about other things like Death Star where you just run it and it auto owns. And one of the things that, and, and here's your, your pop culture movie reference, Jake, um, in the movie Jurassic Park, um, Dr. Ian Malcolm even said that the problem that he had with what was being done at Jurassic Park was because you, you took what other people have done and you built on that and you just continued and went and you stood on the shoulders of giants to then do the next thing. If a lot of people have taken tools that others have done or taken ideas that others have done, packaged them up and made it a one-click compromise where it uses all these other techniques. So therefore, they don't take responsibility for it, to paraphrase Ian Malcolm. And I think that's probably one of the dangerous things about this, this part of what we're talking about. The one-click own tools where there's no knowledge of how it works. There's no understanding of what it, it does. There, there's nothing that you have to learn in order to run it because you just run it. And at that point, you have script kiddies all over the place owning hospitals, owning any environment that they can connect to or they end up on because there was a server that had an open RDP and they connect into that and then run that tool on it. Before they know it, they're a DA on a system that controls um, the health of, of, of folks in ICU environments, right? Um, and to me, that's where that, that gets dangerous. But like I just said, the, I feel the conversation should happen and the conversation needs to happen. And I think that when we're talking about tooling, um, like Carla said, Wilharm Joy has the right approach of putting out a tool, having a responsible element to it where it's like, here's all the TTPs, here's the way you detect it, here's how you can ensure that this, this protects you. So there's a balance of sort in the force where you have a, an environment where you can have the tool that's available for those that are running it. But the AV and the EDRs, at least the cloud-enabled ones, are aware of that and will block it. And so you can run it to test it in an environment on a system where you can turn that off in order to test it and run it and get some value out of it. So I, I'm hearing that there need, the conversation needs to happen, but there needs to also be a balance, well, along with my opinion. And I think we need to add to the conversation is the ownership that companies take for not fixing things that they knew about. Because a lot of times people go, oh, you released this tool, it did all this bad stuff. Yet we find out company knew, knew about it for a year or two years and they yeah. slept on this information or didn't act on it or even advise their customers of, hey, we know about this potential risk. We're working on it. Kind of a message. Yeah, and, and you see the mo motivator there. When you talk with T-Fink or you talk with Harmjoy, one of the motivators is this is there. This says, uh, let's take uh, the certificate attacks. All of that stuff was presented by Delpy. Delpy showed more than half of those attacks with Mimi cats in um, blue hat and other presentations. The thing is that people have struggled with his accent and struggle with understanding what he's showing and, uh, and he informed Microsoft and Microsoft knew, yeah, there's this problem with certificates. I can use it that way. In fact, 
I have here my smart card reader. And when I was teaching the uh, Mimikatz class, here's my smart card with my Mimikatz sticker that I was using when I gained access to a, via RDP to a, a certain authority. I could actually use Mimikatz that way by sending via RDP my smart card reader, putting my smart card to the main controller. And with Mimikatz actually creating a brand new smart card. And he demoed that. But then when you look at the presentation, you're struggling to find the text and follow it. Del, uh, and then Will went like, hey, this is a big issue. People are not taking it seriously. Let me take the time to write a full white paper of each and every attack technique with ample description, more than what you get in one hour presentation on how it happens. And you see it in that motivation. You see it in the work that they're putting, that they're not doing it for shit and giggles. They're doing it because I, this is something serious that may be getting abused and should get addressed. And it's educational. Where, yes. And that's uh, where we see that kind of stuff. Carlos, we have kept you way past your time. Uh, and and I, I hope you're not late for anything. Um, nope. Awesome. Okay. But I've, I, we could talk to you for hours, man, but I want to be sure each of my esteemed colleagues gets their questions or their final thoughts out to you. Uh, Brandon, you've been one of the quieter ones today. You got anything you want to ask Carlos or any, uh, any uh, final comments for him? I love you always tell me I'm the quiet one. I don't think Jake said a single word through the whole. whole <laughs> okay, well then fine. I'll go to Jake first then. You be quiet. I just wanted to say, uh, rolling back to the, you know, helping a customer find the thing that they actually need. Trusted mm -hmm. sec in my last gig was the first person that we talked to when we needed a pen test. Mm -hmm. Ryan Bernheimer was, came and did our, our, you know, sales meeting. And he's like, Nope, you do not need a pen test. What you need is a gap assessment, like NIST, you know, style gap assessment. Like this is what you need. You are nowhere near where you need to be for a pen test. And then like, we didn't end up going with trusted sec, but that was such a, just a, a friendly way to do things. And like, if I was still at that gig and we ready for that, we'd be ready for that pen test at this point. It would be trusted sector. Would be, I, you know, I love Ryan. Uh, Ryan's a great guy. Yeah. How you going to have a story where you, where you the, the goal is like, oh, we didn't give you money, but you're cool anyway. Come on, man. Hey, That's never going to be not what Jake said. Hey, have you not met Jake? We, we were honest. I, imagine that we would have given you the pen test and then you were like, damn. That bastard. He knew this wasn't what we needed, but he still uh -huh. took our money. I'm just like, I'm that like, would be worse. Yeah. Well, Jake hasn't talked the whole time, so I, I, I didn't get to take a swipe at him yet. Um, <laughs> it's, not uh, right. it's, not, it's not a happy hour if you're not insulting me at least once. I don't feel and, like my week is fair. complete. Yeah. And to be fair, I've done the exact same thing. I've been in a call with a customer, and for whatever reason, the budget or something else didn't work out for them to go with Trimark for looking at their Act Directory environment. And I, I said, look, I followed up with an email. I said, I get that this isn't going to work for you for a variety of reasons. It's probably budget. But I said, here are the things that you need to make sure that whoever you hire, that they cover as part of their active director security checks. So I basically gave them the things to check against. And they ended up coming back to us later um, because they went and did something else. Uh, which wasn't what they were really looking for, and they ended up coming back to us. So I feel like, again, Carlos is is absolutely right. If you keep the customer's needs and goals in mind, 
that is how you can win and build a partnership or a relationship, be that trusted advisor for the customer, because you will build that trust and relationship early on. And then, then you do great work for them. And then they're always going to want to come back to you and always continue working with you. And I think the folks like Carlos that work at trusted sec, just emphasize that and underscore that. And, and Jake's to Jake's point, like, you know, sometimes what you need isn't exactly what you think you need, but talking to a true trusted advisor will guide you towards what you need and not just go, oh, yeah, well, give us money because that's what you said you wanted. Yeah, that's one of the things that we probably like that I love when I came here is one of our things is like, hey, we're going to we'll set like we'll say, hey, it's been X amount of time, right? Like we gave you an assessment, we gave you 80 or whatever. We're not I'm not we're not shilling, but like traditionally you would want to look at this again. Now, do we hope that we go? Yes, absolutely. We, we hope that we can work together again because we love the relationship. However, we value like making sure that you're staying on top of it. And do you want another one? Maybe you should start thinking about this. Um, and then, by the way, look at all our stuff that we have. Like we have a newsletter and things like that. So uh, we value that that kind of community engagement and more knowledge transfer than anything else. Like we're never going to be like, oh, yeah, totally take this. That's why. One of the, my favorite things, and I'm going to gush again about where I work, because when we do our, when we do our phone calls with people, it's like two seconds of slides, right? To say who we are now, tell us, what do you need? Like, what are you looking for? And we listen. And I, I've been on the other end of having to test vendors and things like that. And they're like, we have this thing. We should buy it. We have this thing. You should buy it. And they're beating you over the head with it rather than being like, what can we do for you? What is your operational issue that we can help you with, whether we ultimately end up being your solution or not. I'm sorry. And, and I, when I learned that was when I was, believe it or not, in the early 2000s with uh, Jose Fernando Melendez. He was my manager uh, when I was working at Hewlett Packard. And I remember my team of five people, our quota was $120 million that we had to sell across 32 countries in Latin America services. So we had 33 countries that we had to sell that many million dollars in services attached at Hewlett Packard. And he was telling me, you have to remember, if you chase the easy ones, next year's gonna be better. But if we do stuff right now, business will come, we'll have repeats. And he had me go through a ton of training on project management, sales, public speaking, business analysis, a bunch of stuff. And I'm, I'm in depth to that guy for what he did. Me as a solution architect, building solutions, and then uh, helping them implement them. He taught me all of the business and how to sell and how to gain that trust with the customer. Like if we do right by the customer, even though if we don't get the biggest sale because we're doing right and we're not taking advantage of them, they'll remember that we didn't take advantage of them next time. And we'll guarantee that next year we won't struggle so much to meet our quota. We're trying to sell them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm famous for getting on a call with a customer and they have three Active Directory forests. One is their primary production forest. They have a DMZ and they have a development dev environment, not, not a bad code environment, but a developer environment. And I'm famous for going, well, you know, if, if it's a budget thing, you should probably just look at your prime production forest, maybe your DMZ if it works out. But realistically, the stuff that we call out in your prime production forest, you can reuse those ideas for the other environments and at least level those up a little bit. 
And members on the Trimark, Trimark side are like, uh, Sean, you probably could have gotten those other forests. Like, it's not about what we get. It's about what the customer gets. And to me, that's that's the most important part. And I think you're, I, I feel like you're 100% right on this, 1,000% right, Carlos. You do the right thing for the customer. You focus on their needs. You worry about the relationship, and you build on that and that trust, and everything comes out later. They'll reach out and be like, hey – Love the engagement you had. The report was fantastic. We want to work with you again. We now want to look at these other environments. And I think that is the right approach from a business perspective, but really about a customer and even to a certain level, a human perspective. And that pays right now where we're struggling because of the economy right now. A customer is going to go and go like, oh, I have three competitors. But you know what? Listen, this, this guy had my best interest even though they're a bit more expensive on this one between these three others, I'm going to go with them. I feel better going with them. And it pays out. Some capitalist fairy is dying every time you guys talk. <laughs> well, what about the money? Um, uh, Brandon, fi fi some some final thoughts. By the way, I solicited final thoughts 10 minutes ago. I love this show so much. This is one of my favorites. Our final thoughts are going to go until 5 o'clock. This is great. I know, Jake took us back to like the earlier question and everyone's like, yeah, we got more stuff to say. I don't so care. I'll as long as Carlos isn't like, I got to go, man. Like, uh, you know, I, I got kids I got to pick up. They're out in the street right now. I'm perfectly fine. Um, any, any final questions or, 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 or tharts, uh, tharts, tharts is tharts. what I said. Professional broadcaster tharts thoughts, Brandon. You're doing great, Danny. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. So I was going to just take us back to what we finished with before Jake's final thought was we had talked about releasing like the problem. The way I viewed it is you're releasing malware or whatever it is. You're saying, here's the problem. And that's the easy part. The hard part is saying, here's how you fix it or here's how you detect it and stuff. And I think that's um, having a heart of a defender, you know, kind of growing up in that realm I understand and I've seen, you know, fixes for print nightmare, right? People just say, oh, disable the spooler. Well, it's not as easy as that all the time, right? People <laughs> say with, um, what was the other, the, that Java one that came out a while ago that's still wreaking havoc. Like, you know, it seems so easy, just like clean up these JRE files or whatever. And not always that easy, right? So just dropping it and saying, here, patch it or here, take this off or whatever. Not always as easy as it sounds, so... I think that's a great point, Brandon. I mean, we see lots of environments that still have NTLMv1 and SMBv1. Um, the great thing is we have empathy and we understand the business requirements for those things and the specific circumstances of why they have those. After seeing hundreds of environments, and most of the folks on the Trimark team have come from operations and managed those environments and dealt with those struggles. And I think that when you come from a perspective of empathy on these things, not just, hey, fix this, get rid of NTLM, that's old, you shouldn't have it. Well, we know that, but getting back to the, to the point is do the things that you know that you can do, put these things on your, your tracker so that you can work through them. And you know that when these certain systems in your environment are gone, then yes, you can move towards that and audit it today. Yep. yep. And release how, like, like you had said, you know, you give them the, the how or the steps or the gotchas and stuff. And so understanding because many times we get into our head. The Fortune 50 company, oh, they have a blue team that can do this. Start thinking more about the mom and shop, uh, mom and pop shop, the, guy, the guys with 100 employees, 50 employees, that IT is one single person. 
So when I drop this, what information can I provide that for this one single person managing be useful when I release my tool? Because we go like, oh, no, they're going to be able to do this. Yeah, but we're thinking about the Fortune 50 or the Fortune 500, not the other guys. Yeah, I mean, we have folks on the team who was the one person that managed Active Directory for a sizable environment. I, I was one of them. Jake was one of them. Brandon was one of them. Like, we were the ones. And at the time when I was managing AD, I didn't know about the security stuff. I wasn't looking at the security stuff in the early 2000s. That was something that came to me later. But there's admins are busy. Operations are busy. They're fighting fires constantly. They don't have time to figure out what Curb Relay Up is or why they even care about it. Yeah, that's... Uh, I'm still, uh, since I work with our IR team, I'm still surprised how many, many, many we get into where uh, process tracking is not enabled or logons are enabled. I can count them with my left hand and I'm missing fingers in it. Wait, so, wait, yeah. what? You're, are you missing what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a whole other story. We're going to have to have Carlos back on to ask that question as to why um, he's missing a finger on that hand. That's right. Stay, we're going to have a part two, so everybody should subscribe to the Twitch yeah, right now. That's a teaser. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brandon, <laughs> Dev, see, once we, go wow, past four, thanks. once we go past an hour, my brain starts fizzling. Uh, I get to give my third final thought now. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome. Uh, so my Dev, final thought is... Yeah. You know, we talked about people releasing code that can be bad and all that. And there's t talks and even um, scenarios where people got arrested for releasing code or at least charged with something and fine. But meanwhile, the same code or even worse code is released on a dark web with no no recourse or no uh, no audits, no checks, no bounce, like anything. And that's where most of the attacking tools are really coming from. It's not really the surface level um, sites. It's the dark web where not only do they have a PLC, they actually have a software for sale service where you can actually buy the tool or rent out the tool. And it's fully engaged and fully armed. And yeah. dark web. There's also commercial entities that will sell yep. to anybody. And <laughs> yeah, there's a whole AWS in the dark web. Well, not AWS, but AWS-like companies on, on the dark oh, web. In addition to those, there are also... <laughs> companies out of India, Israel, France, and some other places that create full frameworks and they'll sell them to anybody that wants it, but they're legit pen testing tool. Yeah. And all of a sudden we see stories, at least from my side, where I have friends in Latin America, where all of a sudden you have reporters with stuff in their phones and machines that you go like, no, this is commercial grade. I know the name of this company. They only sell to law enforcement. How do they... Sinaloa got this or this other group got this to track you. So we also have those. <laughs> yeah. Money. Yeah, so yeah. my question is like like should the governments be or um should they should there be legal recourse against people releasing code or tools or information? I mean To be I honest, that that we would need to discuss in terms of because if we go at it from the pure non emotional again detaching from everything my feelings and going with thinking legally as presented in court before, and I watch lawyers play the game, is the intent. What was the intent of the, the tool? Uh, and do we want to do that because all of a sudden we're closing the door bunch of research and finding vulnerabilities on stuff that those are still going to be there if stuff doesn't get researched and found. And 
there has to be a balancing act. What is the correct balancing act? I don't know. The correct balance between that. Does it mean putting researchers in jail? I, I don't think good approach. Do, do we decide like, hey, if you do it this way, you may be liable? Probably. Yeah, that, that could have an impact. Like you, you put out a click once and you get full shell. And it's not a video demo, it's the complete tool set. And then when an AV vendor writes a tool, you write a bypass. Uh, the, another EDR writes a, a signature for it, you write another bypass. Like when I see that cat and mouse game, you know, constantly rewriting the public tool and putting bypasses for it, then I'm going like, no, nah, then you're doing it for teaching. You're just, you just want people to use it and go like, oh, you're awesome. You're this. You're such a good boy. <laughs> Look how pretty you are. You're yeah. so pretty. Uh, again, it's the second time I'm going to segue to Tyler about being pretty. Uh, Tyler, any uh, <laughs> of gorgeousness, uh, closing thoughts, questions for Carlos? No, you're a good human, man. Always oh, appreciate the, the perspective. It's, uh, it's good to see your face, voice, and honestly, this is much needed uh, kind of against the grain thought process and logical thinking that we really need in the industry. So I uh, appreciate you bringing, bringing that and continually always just uh, trying to make yourself better so that everyone else has a, a little bit higher bar to follow. But this is, uh, these are tough discussions, and there is not a lot of great, real, solid answers that meet and match every use case. So we always end up with, uh, with where we're at, and you know, some people like to take it to the extreme, and uh, that doesn't always work. So I, I'm glad to see that there's at least thoughtful conversation happening that is constructive without the emotion. Like We really do need to be, especially in the InfoSec industry, be very cognizant of you know, everybody has different experience. Everybody comes from a different background. We all are, are different people, and our uniqueness is what brings such value to the industry and to the world as a whole. So we really need to respect that and engage each other in a respectful and empathetic way that is constructive without all of the emotion and negativity and, and just blatant rudeness. Like we, we can make this world a better place, but it starts with each of us being good humans. And uh, you're definitely a, a great exemplary uh, example of that, buddy. <laughs> he said a closing statement, not a like a like a story. Or that was closer to what you're than what your closing statement was, Dev. Here, Dev. Like, <laughs> like Tyler's helping us move forward to a conclusion here. You're just like, I'm going to say whatever I want. Um, by the way, we actually do like each other, Carlos. Like, we're not just... I've, we talk so much shit on each other. Like, this is recorded. But we actually do like... Well, most of us like each other. Uh, I'm... I'm, I'm uh, there's not many practitioners here in the island. And I work from home. So just having the time to hang out with friends and talk and chat. I love it. So don't worry. Dude, this, you're so much fun. Like... If you want, we'll definitely have you back. I, we would love to have you back on the show to talk about. I mean, or we can come to the island. I'm. I'm or we could come to the island, broadcast live. We should do it there. But Sean Mark's not paying for it. We uh, should do it there. <laughs> but what if I can get leads, Sean? What if they're qualified leads? We'll talk, Danny. All right, very good. Uh, speaking of what, Sean Pyrotech Metcalf uh, going to be at Beside Springfield this weekend. Final thoughts, boss man. Yeah, I'm in Springfield now. It's it's quite nice. It might rain, but it might not. But that's weather in Missouri, I guess. Uh, so yeah, no, great discussion as, as Tyler captured it really well. It's almost like he's a podcast host or something. Yeah, um, like you've done this before. Exactly. 
I, I think that this level of discussion is is important and should should be talked about. Um, I think it's difficult. I, I think one of the things that we we have a saying within Trimark: assume good intent. Assume good intent. People don't always communicate at the same level. Um, as humans, we we misread, we misinterpret. I have a different, uh, you know, I, I grew up differently than other people did. I have different experiences, knowledge, etc. So I may interpret things differently than others will. Um, so we can really work together to communicate at the same level and talk about what are our concerns, what are our challenges, what is the impact, you know, something as difficult as releasing attack tools on, on the internet, well, however it's done. And and actually, I think uh, Dev has a great idea for a topic, future topic is like dark web and what, what's happening with the dark web and how things, how that affects real world situations and real world environments. I think that'd be really cool. Um, definitely want to have Carlos back on. I love talking to Carlos always. Um, he's, he's always a fun person to be around. Uh, like I said, really, really great uh, human being. Um, when the uh, hurricane hit Puerto Rico and he was in at DerbyCon, he was doing everything to coordinate not just his family, but also the island uh, level. Um, certainly all the, all the good folks at DerbyCon pulling together to try to work through that. But Carlos um, and a number of folks in Puerto Rico just working to help out people. And I think that's really when you start with that perspective, which Carlos does, is how can I help people? How can I make things better? I think from from that point forward, um, you're always going to have a positive impact. You're always going to have something that you make better. You know, a lot of people take the approach of, oh, the world is awful. Like The world's been very difficult, right? But if you can change one thing for one person, or if you can make a, a little bit of a positive change, if you can do something that will help one person or a few people, or even help make things a little bit better or brighter, um, I think that's a wonderful thing. And, and that's how I see Carlos. So thank you. And I appreciate you for that. And my, you, bro. my final thoughts for you, Carlos, again, this was, this was a big thrill for me to be able to get you on and uh, from 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 the not not kid because I was like thirty when I was started security, but from that thirty year old uh, who fell asleep on that train to to the sound of Paul.com and to those discussions and thinking I will never know as much. These guys have forgotten more than I will ever know, but it gave me something to aspire to, not just what you knew and what you knew in the profession, but uh, you as a person, the things that you give back. Uh, it, it's just, it just, it just radiates off of you that good intent that Sean was talking about. And, uh, you've given so much back and it's something that I still, I'll aspire to it until I can no longer see a computer screen and even far, far beyond that. And, um, it's been a real thrill for me from that kid who knew nothing to now I know kind of something. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back, man. Um, uh, if people want to follow you, like, what are you doing? Where do you live online? Um, how can they like f figure out what you're doing and where you are right now? Um, my Twitter is Carlos underscore Perez It's not dark operator. There's a guy from Colombia that has that one in Twitter. Well, we could take care of that. Uh, <laughs> uh, my page is www.darkoperator.com. I haven't posted in a while. I'll probably, once I'm finished doing all of the YouTube videos for TrustedSec, more than likely I'm, I'm restarting my YouTube channel. Uh, nice. Atomic Hack, where I'm going to start just kind of like breaking some of the simple stuff. I had the chance to be recently in the in the Dominican Republic uh, presenting over there. We were talking about the tools being released and 
they're problematic, blah, 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 and all of that stuff. At the same time, I'm, I, I remember all of those kids over there, and all them kids are in the 20s. Uh, the, 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 those people that are starting and they're anxious and hungry for in the security community, see them bring up Cali, bring up Metasploit, bring up tools, exploring, excited, and working to make a difference in their country and stuff. I go like, yeah. They cause problems, but they, uh, there's also some good in them. Why we should really have a discussion to find a solution. Best way is just to put a date on it and an ownership, uh, something nobody has done. But uh, when you need to get something done, it's not only to discuss it, it's just let's put a date on it. By when should we be by this point? I think that's the next step. And I've, I've been trying to control my teary eyes because I've been going through some very hard times. Just hearing you guys talk about me means a lot. So I really do appreciate it. Um, oh yeah, I, I really love being here. And if you guys want me back, just holler. <laughs> Whether you know it or not, and you'll probably never fully realize it, the 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 ripples that you have started in this community will will keep going for a very long time. Um, I've seen it from me. I've seen it from the people that I've taught and the students that I even talk to at B Sides Charm. Uh, you are one in a billion, my friend. Uh, so. Follow Carlos, uh, DockerOperator.com, uh, at Twitter, uh, Carlos underscore Perez, and Trimark Security, TrimarkSecurity.com. Again, we specialize in your assessments for Active Directory, Azure AD, VMware vSphere, and, of course, purple teaming uh, attacker tactics. Uh, come to B-Sides Springfield. We will be at B-Sides Dublin coming up. We have plans for, uh, we'll be in Vegas for summer camp, and we will be in Chicago for Blue Team Con. we got all kinds of stuff going on, hub.com. TrimarkSecurity.com for all of our posts and all the content that we just want to give back to you. We are here every Friday uh, at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern doing this same thing. We got a lot of really good guests coming up. Casey John Ellis is going to be on. Sub T will be here. Uh, and if you don't know them, you're you're going to want to be here because those are two of my favorite people in the whole entire world. So for myself, my co-host, and uh, Mr. Carlos Perez, we will see all of you next week. And uh, yeah, till then.